You're listening to Sprogcast, a podcast for people interested in pregnancy, birth, infant feeding and early parenting. Sprogcast is presented by Mark Harris and Karen Hall and sponsored by Pinter and Martin. Hi, you're listening to Sprogcast with me, Mark Harris and with Karen Hall. Do you know, this is episode 37 and it's a delightful mix of interesting interviews and discussion, of course. We don't have a theme this month and hope to bring you our episode on Maternity Voices Partnerships at the end of May. This broadcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Pinter and Martin, an independent publishing company specialising in pregnancy, birth and parenting, psychology, nutrition, yoga and fiction at pinterandmartin.com. And you can use our discount code SPROGCAST at the checkout for 10% off. 10%? 10%. It's worth having. It's worth having. Yeah. Anyway, go on. We we don't want to make excuses, but um, sometimes during school holidays, it's difficult to get everything together to, to di- make the episode we want to make. So we've made a different episode um, and it's going to be equally fascinating. What we do have for you is a few different voices talking about books, breastfeeding, all our favourite things. Um, so we'll have Natalie Meddings for you in a minute and she's talking about her new book. Um, Maddie McMahon um, talks about her miracle bus and Rebecca Schiller tells us why the world needs another birth preparation guide. So they're all voices you've known before and loved um, and we'll start you off straight away with Natalie. Okay, so here's Natalie Meddings telling us all about her new book. Um, hi, yes, um, I am um, the author of Why Home Birth Matters. And um, yeah, when I was asked to write this, I did have a moment sort of, or what, what else is there to add, because there's so many great home birth books out there. But um, as I kind of sat down, I, I realised I was able to address something that's always been worrying me. I've been a doula for 15 years, and I've, I've, I've kind of continuously, what would you call it, sort of alarmed, really, by, by the sense that we, we talk about choice a lot in maternity care and women should have choice and, and midwives should present the choices to women, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm always really aware that presenting women with the um, the idea that home birth is an option for them isn't really a choice because women don't know what they don't know. And in the sense that they most people would assume that, that home birth is, comes with quite a considerable more risk than hospital birth, and it's just not true. Um, and I realised that that might be something I could really investigate in the book. So I've spent quite a lot of time really sort of looking at the statistics, really getting... Yeah, that would be good, raising a lot of awareness. ...possible world, given that we assume hospital is a safe place to have a baby, but if you look at the national maternity statistics from last year, um, I, I mean, if people knew them, they'd be shocked. You know, I mean, like it's gone up massively. Um, uh, so induction rates have gone up nearly 10%. And I was looking recently, it's 41% of women now have an instrumental or cesarean delivery. So that's huge. And I think the reason I'm, what frustrates me is that people don't sort of stop to consider that and, and, and very much consider that home having a baby at home is something that's sort of almost, people still think sort of outrageous in some respects. When you look at the safety um, of home birth, which was confirmed by the birthplace study in 2011, 
you know, it's sort of a bit of a no-brainer. And so the first chapter of the book looks at how it could possibly, in these sort of safe days when we're healthier and we have amazing antenatal assessment that gives us a good sense of how well we are, that having a baby at home is really a really viable option. And, um, yeah, that's what it's mainly about. So and it sort of looks into all the practical stuff. So, um, you know, how to get it arranged, which I think floors people a bit. They should imagine how on earth do I go about it. But also, there's quite an in-depth chapter on, on getting getting yourself organised, getting yourself prepared. Because I think that's another thing. People imagine it involves lots of, um, I don't know, stuff, for want of a better word, you know, um, equipment. And, of course, it, all it requires is a big stack of towels and, um, and, and, and a midwife turning up and a nice warm house. So it sort of goes into a lot of stuff about you know, what, what you actually need and um, in terms of comforts and coping and things like that. So... And then the book ends on sort of where to now, which I think is also important because, of course, we're living in kind of these rising um, complicated outcomes and ever-decreasing um, provision, if you like, where the NHS is really stretched and how much can it actually be provided. And it sort of concludes on a fairly optimistic note because I think what we all know is that the birth is getting... Well, the internet and social media have really... Uh, allowed women to find out a lot more about their choices. So I'm just hoping that um, we may, just from sheer people power, start moving genuinely into um, having choice just from the ground up. Of course it is. Brilliant. That was such a good pricey of the book. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading it. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Natalie Meddings has just written Why Home Birth Matters, another Pinter and Martin book in that wonderful series. And um, yeah, that, that's there, ready for people to buy. I haven't had a copy, I don't think. No, I haven't got it yet. Looking forward to it. We'll mention it again when it comes out. How are you, Mark? Who, me? Mm. I'm, I'm a bit tired. I'm on my um, third chest infection of the year. That's not good. No, I don't know. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm a bit tired. But uh, very busy, very happy. Uh, I went to a conference last week in Leeds, a student-led conference, which was fantastic. Yes, you were telling me about this earlier. Yeah, I, it would have been my enthusiasm, but I'll, I'll talk about it now. It, it was in Leeds, uh, run by the Midwifery Association, or whatever they call themselves. It was predominantly on risk. And I, I've got to be honest, I go to quite a lot of conferences and at some of the conferences, and this sounds quite cocky, I don't learn much. Mm. But I guess if they're for they're for students, they're they're for people who don't have your level of experience. If my if my wife was listening, she'd say you cocky so and so. But yeah, but you know, sometimes I I I stay there and I think, well, I haven't learned an awful lot, and I take your point. You know, I've got more experience and all the rest of it. But this one was extraordinarily good. Well, go Leeds. On loads of different levels. Um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of the speaker, but she works with Sean Walker. Um, she gave a session on physiological birth, uh, breach birth. Yeah, I saw some tweets about that. Oh, what's her name? It's Emma. Oh, forgive me if you're listening. You. <laughs> Sorry. No, but forgive me if you're listening. She works with Sean. And it was the best teaching I have ever received on physiological breach birth. The, the teaching methodology was extraordinarily, extraordinarily good, you know, taking into consideration 
how people learn. It was really effective, very visual. And the delivery was brilliant. The, the only thing I regret is I didn't have this teaching 20 years ago. Right. Oh, brilliant. That's good. fantastic. Very positive. It should be, in my opinion, it should be part of mandatory training in every hospital in the country, nay, the world. Right. Well, there's an endorsement from you, Mark. What else? What else was good? There was another talk on obesity and women's experience of being labelled obese. And again, the speaker's name, I can't remember, but it was her PhD subject. That was extraordinarily good. And then there was an interview with a woman called Bryony Gordon. Right. The Telegraph journalist. Yeah, I must admit, I've never heard of her until that day. And she was being interviewed about her birth experience. Her birth experience was very good. She was very open about it. it. It was, I think it was a cesarean birth. But she was talking about her experience of writing about her experience and how she felt that people in the broader community seemed to feel like they had an obligation to shame her because of how her birth went. So what, what's she feeling shamed for? Well, she, she was pointing towards the normal birth, inverted commas, agenda and pointing towards the the kind of pro-breastfeeding agenda. And she was talking about how uh, there seemed to be this almost compulsion to put her right about an experience that she had felt was a good one. Right. That's a shame, isn't it, that people feel they need to correct somebody's experience? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's it, back to our discussion about elevating certain ways of doing things till they become almost a moral imperative. Mm, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And I think that's one of the things that with, with good training, birth workers learn to listen and not interject any of their own self, any of their own Absolutely. I, I mean, she did slam the NCT, it has to be said. And the, the thing about the NCT, in my experience, is that is embedded in the training in a, in a foundational way. Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't recall any point at which NCT have had a great big discussion of, about judging Bryony Gordon. So she might feel it, but I'm not sure where it's coming from. Well, you know, my my opinion on all this stuff is that when we talk about other people shaming us, we, we are probably looking in the wrong direction for where the shame originates. I agree with you. You know, it, 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 well, shame's an inside job, right? You know, shame is something I create on the inside. Don't get me wrong, it's obviously stimulated, can be stimulated by other people that uh, maybe unmeaningly are, are creating an environment where you're more likely to create shame, but it's it's always an inside job, mm. in my opinion. And we obviously, without wanting to comment on her situation, because I don't know her story and I wasn't there to listen to the interview, um, where do you think the shame comes from when somebody feels positive about their birth? Well, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I, uh, it, it, it goes back to stuff we said again and again and again, that every woman and her partner are living inside a story they tell themselves about their experience. You don't have to mention breastfeeding or vaginal birth in, in an overt way for very long before someone will and this is my experience, before someone will project onto you something that is, is really inside them. Right. So, for example, if breastfeeding is the best, if breastfeeding um, is serving my child, microbiome, the whole rest of it, and blah, 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 um, and I didn't do it, 
I think there is a natural tendency to feel guilty about that and therefore to become potentially defensive, aggressive, attacking, you know, saying, do you get that? It kind of takes on a sort of like a moral frame. Yes, like Mark, I, I get that. It. I'm a breastfeeding counsellor. Thank you. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. And I've repeated it three times. I was just trying to work out what it is about her feeling that she had a positive experience that then got turned into a sense of shame. I mean, for example, three times she said in her interview, all that matters is a healthy baby. Right. And that's kind of like a, a little bit of a trigger for me. Yeah. Uh, because um, for me, that's not holistic enough. <laughs> I, Yeah. I'd, I'd like to enlarge that conversation and say well what else matters because you know the healthy baby's fairly likely yeah C- could you maybe raise your aspirations a little bit further yeah well you say that but even that's got a little bit of judgment yeah it? and i wouldn't say it to somebody no i know you wouldn't we're having a, we're having a conversation it's a private one that only hundreds of people are going to listen to <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Actually, i know i get, go on no 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 you go on I was going to say we're back to what else matters, you know, and, mm. and in the context of birth, again, it's the story that a woman is living with. It's how she's defined her experience that, that goes on to create uh, how her life unfolds after the birth. There's a super thing, and I'm just going to try and find it if my computer will move fast enough. Um where they've taken Maslow's hierarchy of needs and converted it for birth. Have you come across that? I haven't, but I like the idea. I haven't got the original link to it. but um, So you, you're familiar with the idea of the triangle with the basic needs oh, at the bottom course, and yeah. the, the, the self-actualization needs at the top. So the birth one has a live at the bottom. Mother and baby are both alive yeah. um, or they've got access to life-saving care. The next one is health. Mother and baby are safe and healthy. Yeah. The next one is trust family trusts and feels safe with the care provider in the team um, and they have evidence-based care informed consent and no coercion the next one is autonomy they have respect involvement empowerment um, patient-centered care options and choice and the top one is heard the acceptance of complex emotions connection and continuity and this is copyright brenda barr who is um something to do with doulas of north america wow i wonder if we can paste that to the page um i don't know i'll try and find the original link yeah gotta be careful but no it's cool that's cool isn't it you know i i i kind of think it's my opinion that uh, every human being has a similar sets of needs uh, a similar set of needs Mm. yes you you could apply this much more broadly than birth of course, the whole of life. So, so every human being, and it fits into the evolutionary model as well. So we've evolved a similar set of deep human needs. And then we spend the rest of our lives developing strategies for meeting those needs. So when, whenever anyone is angry with me, upset with me, or whatever it is, um, underneath this strategy is a need longing to be met. You know, and if I'm able to see through uh, the strategies to what the fundamental need is, I can connect with that because I'm a human being too. You know, trouble is we're often interrelating, we're relating to people on the basis of 
strategies and we're not always seeing that under underlying basic universal human need maybe if we did that more often there'd be more connection in our world I think that the, maybe the difference is where where two people are interacting, but they're both interacting on the basis of their own needs. And what it needs is for one of those people to go, OK, hang on a minute. Yeah, let, let's just both do yours for a minute. Yeah. 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 I mean, you might you might call that empath- empathetic listening, I suppose. You might, might you? <laughs> you, you yeah. know, being able to listen with ear open to the, the need that's being expressed underneath it. Yeah. Because if we're touching yeah. at that level we will definitely have a sense of that need in ourselves as well. It's just that we've developed through conditioning, through family relationships, different strategies to get those needs met. Indeed. You know, this would be an, a great time to listen to Rebecca because, of course, this is very much her area. The whole not all that matters is a healthy baby discussion. Shall we put her interview in Yeah, here? Can, can I just say, though, at the, at the end of Please this do. bit, that, that the other thing that made Leeds so phenomenal was it's it's very seldom that you get to hear a dissenting voice in the mm. context of the conference at large. And it's brave, isn't it, to do that? Brave of Bryony and it's brave of the conference organisers. Yeah. And for me, it enhanced the conference. More of that, please. I would say. We want more of that. More Here's of- Rebecca. I'm chatting here with Rebecca Schiller, who's got a book out and is another return visitor to Sprogcast, who we're really pleased to welcome back. Um, Good morning, Rebecca. Morning, Karen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for coming back on the show. Great to be here. Thank you for sending me this um, lovely preview copy of your No Guilt Pregnancy Plan. Yes, it's kind of a bit nerve-wracking sending uh, sending a book out into the world and waiting to hear what, what people think. Um, but I'm very glad you got your hands on it. Oh, yeah, so am I. And I think it's good. I really like it. Um, what, have, what have other people said to you? Uh, it hasn't got into the hands of many people yet. So um, I sent out some um, early copies to uh, some midwives and doctors um, and also um, some journalists and bloggers just to kind of get some initial feedback. And it's been really, really lovely so far. Um, nobody has said anything nasty. Um, and people seem to really value the things that are in the book that perhaps aren't traditionally part of um pregnancy and birth books the things that focus more on um women's lives and and mental health and work and relationships uh so i've had a lot of positive feedback about that and also the idea that you know whatever decisions you make as long as you've got good information and and feel good about them um there's no attempt to sort of sway you and, and and put any um any judgment um against certain choices and, and and people seem to 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 find that kind of reassuring and, and refreshing so fingers crossed so far it's all been good feedback yes that comes across well actually the the um kind of here's the information you decide what to do and um another thing that's in this that you don't normally get in a book and of course it's obviously going to be in your book is about um women's human rights in childbirth absolutely um, i mean there was no way I could write a book for preparing for for pregnancy and birth and motherhood without putting in a chapter about your rights. Um, And I tried to put that reasonably early on in the book in the pregnancy section, though a lot of it 
course mainly talks about about birth because I think it's just um, an important piece of information that's often missing in our general education that, that we have these rights as human beings we still have them as women and we, we still have them as pregnant women and I'm hoping I've tried to introduce the chapter by saying I'm I'm hoping that you're not going to need to use these rights because you know most um, healthcare professionals are very keen to support you and will be well aware that you um, that you uh, are someone that needs to be treated with respect and dignity during your pregnancy and birth but nevertheless it's good to know it so that you can tell other people and, and just in case you find that you come up against a system that's not very accommodating to you you've got those tools and resources to say hang on a minute and um, this isn't okay mm, and it's chip chip chipping away at the culture that actually this becomes yeah. the norm Absolutely, I think um, I think the idea of, of raising and, um, yeah, that's what it's mainly about. So, and it sort of looks into all the practicals, whilst being realistic about some of the challenges and bends in the road that can come up in pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. That was quite tricky in the book. Mm. I've you know done a lot of listening to women talking about how their antenatal preparation, the books that they read, maybe set them up with very sort of narrow goals and an objective to get to and they put a lot of effort and energy into preparing for giving birth in a certain way and if that didn't happen they felt very let down either by themselves or by the antenatal preparation or by the system and often felt very sort of angry Um, so I've tried to make sure that the expectations I've set are ones that are about um, things that are achievable for everyone um, and, and the expectations are set are, are about saying you know you you are somebody who deserves to be treated well whatever happens you are somebody who deserves to have this information this is how you get it this is what makes you most likely to have the kind of care that will be personalized to you will accommodate your needs and to give women lots of tools and resources to plan a birth and plan those sort of first few weeks that feel right to them but also to be aware of when things might change and to be okay with that and I think that's a difficult that's a difficult message to get across without saying oh you can't plan anything because it all it all changes anyway which I don't believe I believe planning is important it's about having those those plans that that are flexible and realistic um, and trying to set a standard of how you you wish to be cared for but n- not necessarily investing absolutely everything in the exact way time and moment that your baby will come out um, and 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 that's you know there's a lot of nuance in there so it's it's taken a lot of care, careful careful wording and thinking about how how to do that in a way that feels supportive and helpful to women yeah there is a lot of nuance in there <laughs> and I totally get that that difficult balance and I'm I'm speaking as somebody who um, I, I know that tomorrow I've got a six hour um, course an NHS course in which I have to cover everything from health in pregnancy to postnatal depression Goodness. Um, and there's, at some point I have to have this conversation about um, birth planning and your rights and I'm looking at your exercise on choosing your birth goal yeah and thinking I love that and I really want to have that conversation and I always do have this conversation and it's so hard to um, help a group to see beyond the one thing that matters yeah 
absolutely the, the healthy baby and to to understand how their rights are also important yeah. So I did a, a talk yesterday at the Royal um, Society of Medicine, which was on a, um, a day-long event about um, maternity um, and the law and the legal process. And it, it, had, it was mainly attended by healthcare professionals, and there were quite a few clinical negligence lawyers speaking, and a lot of it was focusing on issues around consent and mental capacity. And it was, I didn't stay for the whole day, but it was really interesting. So there was somebody in the audience who... Um, was there um, not as a midwife or a doctor, but someone that's worked mainly with teenagers. Um, I'm not sure if she was a social worker or quite quite what her role was, but she said I, I had talked a lot about um, women's experiences and women's rights, and she said that what you're what you haven't talked about, of course, is that um, what I'm seeing often in adolescence is um, the result of women who haven't been well supported. You have difficult entries to motherhood. Who find it difficult to bond with their bond with their children at the, at the more extreme end, and, and the impact that that's having on um, on their children, um, finding it difficult to form relationships themselves, and um, not having had um, an easy nurturing start to to their lives and the negative impact that has. And she was asking me why I didn't focus on that in my talk, and I was trying to explain that it's a very difficult balance. Um, a lot of the time. Um, there's a focus on doing the best for the baby and I'm trying to put a narrative in there that it's absolutely vital to look after the mother not just for the baby's sake but for her sake she is important um, but the other part of that of course is that it is completely true that if you look after women well if you support them properly and you give them the most positive start to motherhood as possible will have a really positive impact for that baby and for that family um, and I don't dwell on that lots because I think um, I think there is you know there's a lot of focus on um, women doing the best for their babies and I, I want to sort of um, challenge that by saying women are, are doing the best for their babies that's what they're there for we we need to look after women but the missing piece perhaps in that puzzle is is of course that um, we're not very good at supporting women and we're telling women to look after after their babies and do the best for their babies. And we need to remember that perhaps the energy we spend telling women to do things differently, to change their bodies, to be younger, to be fitter, to stop drinking, to not go back to work or go back to work or whatever it is, which is the thing, eat peanuts, don't eat peanuts, whichever is the thing. Instead of putting so much energy into that, if we just put the energy into saying, what can we do to make this the most emotionally and physically safe experience for you that does have a big for women are safer systems that care for women are safer emotionally and physically for them and their babies and their families so i i think it's you know it it's a delicate balance that makes complete sense doesn't it it's not an either or <laughs> Yeah, and it can feel like like an either an either or, um, and I, I think it's important that we challenge that. By a lot of this stuff feels very black and white, you know. Um, everything around pregnancy and birth and motherhood, it feels like there's sort of two sides. There's a breastfeeding side and a formula feeding side. There's a cesarean side and a home birth side. There's a strict parent and a um, laissez-faire parents now. Good, that would be a health and safety. 
one of the other things I've tried to do in the book is be realistic about how much more complicated in a good way it it is than that, that you can be someone who has one set of values and that includes being someone that's really comfortable with quiet, you know, needs some sort of routine in, in your life with with a new baby, but is much more comfortable with birth choices that are about, you know, um, less intervention if possible and being at home. You can be, you can be, you know, two seemingly opposite sides of the spectrum at once and um, it's difficult to get that message across to something mainstream it's obviously quite a lot of pressure to have have a a strong message because that's you know that sells well and that but it's been really great working with the team at penguin because they were really keen to to be more realistic to let me do something that was a bit more, more complicated and talk about the reality more yeah and actually <laughs> I think that is um, necessary now when you're putting a, a book into this marketplace because there are so many books about birth and pregnancy yeah. and babies that to be giving something new and, and that has value in in this um, marketplace, it's got to be a different approach. And this is a different approach. It's It's very mother centred, which is why it appeals so much to me. I mean, I'm glad that you, you know, you, you've picked up on that. You're one of the first people who's read it, so uh, who hasn't been sort of directly involved with it. And it, I've tried to even go at the beginning of each of the three sections as a section for pregnancy, birth and afterwards, there's a sort of timeline. Um, so I've tried to compress a lot of the sort of very um, simple factual information that often takes up a lot of a lot of space into these sort of short timelines, being aware that women also have the whole of the internet so I, I don't want to repeat things that they're going to be getting from the various different um weekly emails from different baby clubs so I've tried to keep that information short and tight but what I've done in there is instead of saying things like your baby is the size of a watermelon seed lemon yeah. melon aubergine I've tried to describe how far a woman a woman's uterus rises so that Every time there's a chance to remind her that this is this is about her and that her body is changing, I've tried to, to do that to resist some of the temptation to to just replicate lots of information that's already out there about how that baby is developing and instead talk more realistically about the changes to a woman's body and emotional health and and the the, the, the things that it's touching in her life that actually aren't directly result related to pregnancy but how that ripples out and affects work, her relationship maybe with her parents or her friends, relationship with her partner, um, sex life, all those kinds of things. And to, to really take the opportunity to deal with some of the stuff that often ends up being talked about on mum's net threads, but isn't, <laughs> isn't yeah, often and, in, and the in... stuff that people say, nobody told me. Yeah. And yeah. they feel unprepared yeah. for, even if it has been mentioned, because you can't mention it in a way that's individualised to that person in in um, in all the books and antenatal courses and so on. So yeah. it, it it focuses, and I think the the experience of reading a book helps you to reflect on this thing that you're reading about in relation to yourself. Yes, yes, you've got more time. Perhaps you can go back to it. You when you're doing, especially if. If you, you do quite a short antenatal course, some of it will go in and some of it won't. You don't have the opportunity to sort of rewind it mm. <laughs> and think, you know, mm. what was it that Karen said an hour into the, the morning? Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> it's it's helpful to be able to flick back. And I guess the other thing I've tried to do, the last chapter of the book is about making your own plan for not just a birth plan, but a pregnancy plan, a birth plan and a plan for afterwards. And it navigates people back through the book, depending on their particular circumstances, inviting them to reread sections, to do interactive exercises, be it, you know, choosing a birth goal or um, even doing a bit of birth art or talking to your birth partner about what you need from them, inviting you to actually engage with certain things so that they use different parts of your brain that you remember and retain them and that then you either write them down on a series of post-it notes or a proper plan um, or jot them down on your computer so that you've got a chance of sort of remembering these things and and also making a list one of the most important things is making this little black book for afterwards so um you will know this how many times women you know they're they've got a three-day-old baby they haven't slept much since before they were in hospital for their induction and they've been awake for a few nights they need some feeding support um and they're trying to google who can come and see them? What's the local breastfeeding group? Is there a lactation consultant? Actually, I'm trying to get people to do all of that preparation beforehand so that if they need some support, they turn to page two of their plan and they know exactly who to call and what their number is um, so that they've got that in place. Yes. Um, and I think that's something that we're not really encouraged to do, but it's, it's so important to get, get your team around you beforehand rather than wait until you're, you're tired and sore yeah. and do it then. And there's a realism in that, um, focusing on the fact that there are going to be challenges and so coming to the challenges and saying yes I have already thought about this rather than oh my god nobody told me this would happen yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it's difficult isn't it because part of me just wants to write you know I had I had very positive experiences of birth and I I had slightly rockier, more complicated feeding experiences, but which both ended up very positively. Um, and I hear a lot of negative stories, and and I think there's a there is a really good logic in making sure that positive stuff gets out there. You know, it's one of the reasons I really love the positive birth movement. I think it's important to hear that you can have good births in lots of different ways, and you you can have good feeding journeys, but. I think there's a balance there of saying that a positive experience isn't necessarily an uncomplicated, easy one. Mm. Absolutely every mm. single human person that I know who has had a baby has found something difficult and surprising. Um, you know, ev everyone has a wobble at some point about something um, because that's just, you know, that's just what life's like, you know, <laughs> you yes. know e e everything the huge new experience that happens at a time when your hormones are going crazy and you haven't had any sleep and you've never done it before and you feel like it and it you know is one of the most important things you've ever done so of course at some point you're going to cry and possibly wish you hadn't done it and wonder if you're doing it right and so the idea is to show that that's that's normal and that will happen that doesn't mean that doesn't mean it's all going wrong. Um, and so I've tried to also in each of the sections have a chapter called The Unexpected, which ended up being some of my favourite chapters. And I asked women to tell me the most unexpected thing about pregnancy, birth and afterwards. And so there's pages and pages actually of just little quotes from women about some unexpectedly wonderful things, women who found it much easier than they thought, funny things 
things, people's husbands crashing their cars into lampposts when they were in labour um, and and some unexpectedly difficult things and weird things. And the idea to show that, you know, something will happen, some things will happen that you had no idea were even possible. And it might be wonderful and it might be difficult and it might be amazing, it might be awful. Um, and just being open to that happening and knowing that you will need someone to have your back when it does. The chapters on the unexpected, I think, were really, really helpful. A lot of the time we treat pregnant women like children and then we don't want to scare them and we don't want to worry them. And then they feel unprepared and, and cheated and angry if something happens to them that they weren't told about was a possibility. So I've tried to include the very worst things that can happen, giving honest information about how rare they are, but also pointing to sources of support if you are somebody that has a, has a miscarriage or, or a baby that dies um, or a serious health complication yourself. Um, I think women need to know that that very occasionally does happen and, and that um, there are a lot of organisations and support groups available to them and and that just in a tiny portion of their mind that that needs to be in their in their sort of frame frame of reference um so i hope the balance is 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 right there um and i've tried to just use um real stories um from women to to sort of illustrate those those difficult but but real parts of 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 some people's journeys to becoming parents yeah I think it is important to to acknowledge that those things happen really, really difficult to do that and and perhaps sometimes difficult to take on board what you hear about it. Yeah, I think it's it is difficult. You know, there's also so when I first wrote this book, um, I wrote another twenty five thousand words. So what I've tried to do also is is I had a lot of resources in the book, a lot of thoughts for where you would point people too in terms of more um, scientific studies and support groups and uh, products that uh, are really useful and um, message boards and things and instead I've taken all of that out of the book and put it on my website and I'm still working on getting it getting it all on there and actually I, re- I really like that now because it means it's constantly updatable yeah. um, there's already recommendations that have changed since I wrote this um, and I can't reprint the book every time that happens but I can put that all on the website and there's lots of references to that link in the book and people can go there and think oh yeah absolutely Uh, this is the latest recommendation on eating runny eggs for example because they keep changing that Um, and um, you can eat runny eggs as long as they are uh, lion stamped that's the that's the latest information on on runny eggs so go off find yourself some lion stamped eggs and have soft boiled eggs to your heart's content if you're and, and also some of the things that I had to cut out of the book some of the longer birth stories um some of the things that maybe are um about a slightly smaller um group of women and I can put that on my website and that's available um and maybe if loads and loads of people buy the book they will let me do a second edition that's longer so yeah. if you'll go out and buy it I'll make it longer next time <laughs> <laughs> the the website's a really good resource. I can see that coming in handy. Yeah, it's really great to to think of it, it getting out there and 
I'm always recommending people about five books. I'm like, read this bit of this book and this bit of this book and this bit of this book. Read the whole of this book, but read this other one for balance. Yeah. And, and ignore these parts of that book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I feel like I wrote I wrote this to stop having to do that because yeah. now I can just tell people yeah. to, buy, to buy my book instead. Though I'll probably be too embarrassed to, to do that. But, um, well, yeah. I'll, I'll do it. it. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so it's out on the 3rd, is that right? 3rd of May? Yeah, it's out on the 3rd of May and... Uh, um, it's available um, on Amazon now to pre-order, and apparently it will drop through your letterbox um, on the 3rd of May if you pre-order it. It is also available in other less evil bookshops, um, uh, Stones, Foils, and you can order it, I imagine, in a copy in your local library if you don't even want to buy it. So um, uh, look out for it. It's called your no guilt pregnancy plan a revolutionary guide to pregnancy birth and the weeks that follow brilliant thank you rebecca so there we had rebecca schiller talking about her new book the no guilt pregnancy plan um, which will be available to buy from the 3rd of may and you've had a copy of it already i have you where's mine i don't know Lost in the post. Although I'm always moaning about how they're all the same. This one is not. Oh, get out of here. Uh, how, how many ways can you spin a birth book? This is different. Well, tell me how. It's really focused on the mother. It's a very woman-centric book. Um, it looks at what she needs. It looks at her rights. It talks about pregnancy in terms of her body, not the baby's changing body and development it, it's very much doesn't it it doesn't assume that a woman is just a vessel for a baby to be born wow. and i think it's great and it's got a, a section on on her human rights and childbirth which i've never seen in any other book that wasn't written by rebecca schiller right. um yeah no just it this is this is now the my top book who's it published by penguin wow but I'm sure Penguin generally aren't as good as Pinter and Martin, but in this case, they have come up with a top book. Does it have a graphic layout? Yeah, there are some pictures. There are little boxes and little exercises and activities so that you can um, just to say, well, have a think about this. What answer, answer these questions so that you can think about what you need for that. Um, so little, little exercises, few stories and quotes. Um, a, a very good cesarean birth story that I'm going to use in antenatal classes. Yeah, far and away, the best book. Well, I, I, I genuinely, seriously want to read it um, because I, it, it's such a challenge, I think, creating something fresh and new in an environment that is pretty overrun with stuff. You know, I do read a lot and every now and then I read a book, whether it's fiction or non-fiction or whatever, and think, well, that's it. There's no point ever trying to write a book now because it's been done that's the best book and this is one of those moments brilliant it's a bit depressing really what <laughs> there's no point in me ever trying to write a book because the best breastfeeding book exists and the best birth book exists and i don't have anything else to say oh that's not true <laughs> shall we look at what we've got on facebook because they've inspired us with a few things this month haven't they let's do that you posted this very controversial article about this Emma Willis person who I've never heard of. Um, so Emma Willis is to become a midwife and deliver babies for a new 
TV series. Yeah, do, do you live do you live somewhere where there's no electricity? No. Well, you didn't know who she was. I still don't know who she is. I'm perfectly happy with that. Don't you watch telly? Do you only watch documentaries? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. And National Geographic? Yeah. (laughs) No, but I tend not to watch a lot of live broadcast TV. I don't watch it as it happens. I watch it. All right. She's a a presenter. I think she's married to... She's a placenta. Did you say placenta? She's a placenta. No. You've got placentas on the brain. She's a presenter. I think she was presenter on The Voice. I know what and that she's is. Done lots of presenting generally. I think she's married to a chap who was in a band. I can't remember. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> I'm married to a chap who's in a band. Yeah, well, Pete and he's lovely and he's famous to me. But the band that he was in was a big one. I forget what it was. Anyway, she is delightful and I'm a bit biased because I do like her. Okay. But what about this? This delivering babies business. Oh, it's 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 kind of designed to antagonise us in the profession, isn't it? Is it? First, Are we the people they uh, care about? I, not at all. Uh, when I say designed, I mean... I'm you quite, oh, mean it's I'm, inevitably going to? Yes. I mean, one born every minute. I'm sure they don't make that just to, you know, get me upset. But uh, the fact that it's uh, she's going to be delivering babies is enough to to make me not want to read any further. The thing that made me, you know, that that pushed my buttons was reading one of the comments from Jane Ruddock, and she says, I, I'm sweating blood and tears to get my pin. Yeah. And the thought that she's going to, this woman's going to do a few weeks training and, and then call herself a midwife hurts when you're working that yeah. hard. I feel for you, Jane. And I'm, and I'm quite sure that Emma Willis, not that I, I know her, of course, wouldn't, uh, be calling herself a midwife. I think that's just clickbait, to be honest. Well, Mark, it's time for you to get in touch and work your famous charm. <sighs> Very unlikely. I can't imagine. Uh, well, I'd not with to... that attitude. Come on. <laughs> you know, you never know. This show might raise some really serious issues about understaffing and overworking that and stressful good. environments. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, this may well be a good thing. Uh, I tend to lean towards it being rubbish entertainment that we should all avoid well let's remain open-minded until we've seen it okay tattoos what about what about this thing about should midwife have should midwives have tattoos who cares <laughs> right that's that one done what's next no no um, no seriously <laughs> it's a big issue because we we i think we have a misunderstanding about what the word professional means hmm. and it's a hangover if you like, from the fact that the vast majority of professionals over the years have come from white middle-class backgrounds. Yeah. When I got my third tattoo, which is a fairly big one, my mum looked at me and she said, is that permanent? I said, yes. She said, we used to say things about women with tattoos. My mum is very well brought up. (laughs) (laughs) My son, my, uh, one of my sons recently had a tattoo on his neck. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got to be honest, uh, when he's told me, and I've got tattoos, when he told me, I said, Joe, you re- need to really think very carefully because, you know, I know the kind of person you are, but there are people out there that will that will jump to a conclusion about you. It's true, yeah. And they've got, and, and of course, the conclusion they jump to has more to do with them than you yeah. because they don't know you. Uh, and I didn't, you know, but he's done it and that's that's fine. I think what happens in our profession, midwifery, is that there are some people in senior positions that have a misunderstanding about what it means to be professional. 
Mm. And it doesn't have anything to do with with your tattoos. No, but it's interesting you say that because you're right. And I think that, you know, I, I didn't get any tattoos until I was at the point of in my life where I'm very, very comfortable with myself and happy with myself and, and not too bothered about whether somebody thinks I'm professional or not because I know that I am. But at, at 20 yeah. or even 30, I wasn't in that place. No, and I get that. Other people's opinions would have mattered a lot more. Yeah, I, I get that. Shall we move up and, and talk about um, Adam Kay? Because this also got a lot oh, of yes! feedback. People were very interested. And um, this came from a tweet by Millie Hill. Yeah. Um, who felt that his book is quite misogynistic when he talks about women, and particularly in the context of birth. Although, as, as people have pointed out in the comments, his view is probably representative of a portion of people that have been through standard you know, ob oh, obstetric I so. training. It doesn't sound like a deeply reflective training. I heard him on Richard Herring's podcast talking yeah, about it. Yeah, you were cross one. I was rather. It, it, I had to stop listening to it. Yeah. I mean, his book's a bestseller. Well, it, yeah, I got it on my wish list, but I'm thinking of not bothering um, having heard him talk about it. I just didn't like this man making comedy mileage out of um, talking about delivering babies. And, and the women in the way he speaks about it are just um, slabs of meat on a on a bench. You know, as long as I've been a midwife, you know, over 20 years, I've heard people generalise about, the, the kind of woman that has a birth plan. Yeah. Yeah, and how, oh, they've got a birth plan, so we'll expect all this to go wrong then. Yeah, and we that came up on Twitter a few months ago, didn't it, with the Australian doctors? Aren't we bored of that? It's just lazy. It's just a lazy reinforcement of a stereotype. It's disrespectful. And it's so counter to everything we're saying when we're trying to empower women and help them feel positive in this experience. You know, when the, when there's somebody quite high profile making, you know, his living out of what seems to me to be an utter lack of emotional intelligence and reflective capacity, it it's hard to keep on trying to do what we're doing. And it does feel polarising. It does. I and feel pushed into a corner. Well, and I think there maybe is, there is room for polemic. You know, there is room for people to be to be making an argument that's contrary to, to an argument that's popular. I think that's an important, there, there is an important need for that. Uh, I, I just don't think if we stay with just polemical type interactions, we, we won't see any transformation over time. No, that's important. You're right. It's just when you feel pushed into that way of being, it, it's hard to, kind of dig your heels in and say actually I'm not going there I'm, I'm going towards you yeah it's 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 tricky I, it, for me my natural natural inclination listening to Bryony right for example mm, yeah was to lash out yeah inside I was triggered I had an adrenaline response I was my heart rate was going I was thinking oh what am I going to say how am I going to say it I was angry I wanted to defend the NCT I wanted to put her in a place in this group of you know full of influenceable um, student midwives but I had enough control thankfully to, to 
to listen beyond what it was she was saying to what I felt were her fundamental needs. So, but that is exactly the emotional intelligence and reflective capacity that I'm talking about. That you felt it and you're aware that you're feeling it, but you're not yeah. immediately reacting. You're not doing a big knee-jerk response to it. Yeah. Well, not on that occasion. What else do you want to talk about? Anything or shall we? No, I think we've we've got Maddie up on the board and we've got an interview with her as well, haven't we? Yeah, well, that would be really nice to listen to, to this because um, she's she wants to drive her booby bus around the country. Shall we hear that now? Booby bus? <laughs> Shush. <laughs> I'm talking to Maddie. She's back and she's going to tell us all about um, her new project. So, hi, Maddie. Hello, Karen. It's really nice to be back. It's exciting. We love having you back. Well, yeah, I was I was there in the, the very first run, wasn't I? Yes. And, and always, your presence is always there. <laughs> <laughs> in the bath, mostly. I assume you're not in the bath right now. No, I'm definitely not in the bath right now, no. Good, that would be a health and safety. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what are you up to? Um, well, uh, I wanted to have just a, a quick shout out for uh, a little project that I'm involved with at the moment, which is quite embarrassingly called Maddie's Miracle Travelling Bus. Uh, the history of it is that um, ever since I trained as a breastfeeding counsellor, I was aware that there was a mobile breastfeeding support group in Oxford. It was in an old converted bus and they uh, moved around between three venues in uh, in Oxfordshire in order to reach, you know, the more hard to reach groups of women, women who couldn't get out of the house to get to a breastfeeding drop-in or clinic um, women who had cesareans maybe or couldn't drive or couldn't afford to get on the bus or in a taxi um, and I always just thought what an absolutely amazing idea that that was. Unfortunately that project um, didn't carry on beyond a few years um, and I've always wanted to replicate it. Anyway when I teach my doula course in order to graduate my trainees have to do a post-course project um, and part of that project is to do something that benefits their community. So during a course that I was teaching a few months ago, um, a wonderful woman called Zohar, um, we were just chatting. Um, and explained what I meant by that. Um, and she just thought it was a lovely idea. Anyway, she came back to me after the course had finished and said, my project, um, well, I want to do this. I, I want to make this bus. And she has, in quite an amazing, miraculous style, really made it happen. One of the wonderful things about Zohar is that before becoming a doula, uh, she has worked in charitable fundraising um, and organisations. Uh, of that kind so she's very uh, able uh, and she has all the talents that she needs for this she's found um, an amazing project uh, in Aylesbury called the Aylesbury Motor Project and I want to give them a big shout out they're um, a charity as well uh, and they do uh, van and bus conversions and uh, work with youth uh, to give them 
skills, mechanic skills and things like that. Um, so they are going to do the project for us. We have a bus and we have a crowdfunder to raise the money to do the conversion. Once that's done, we'll be going around the country and we want a database of volunteers. So breastfeeding counsellors, but also to be aware of when things might change and to be okay with that. And I think that's a difficult... Who can uh, staff the bus when it pitches up in your town, uh, who can help with promoting the fact that we're going to be around and getting the word out to the mums, um, who can drive... Uh, who can bake cakes, who can you know, do all the things that we'll need to make a really lovely, welcoming, homely space for what, yeah, when we come to your town or if we come to a festival or those kind of things. Oh, count me in. <laughs> They're going to be getting from the various different <laughs> get on that um, <laughs> weekly emails. From- Bunting and cushions. Of course it is. And yeah, we'll have a little kitchenette and a toilet because, you know, when you've just had a baby, you kind of need to go to the loo. So yeah, it's going to be lovely and homely. What a super idea. (laughs) So you're going to go everywhere. It's not just for Cambridgeshire. No, everywhere. Yeah. So if you're a breastfeeding counsellor and you want the bus to come to your area, then you at the more extreme end and and the impact that that's having on on their children. Funded. um, so there's the rub. Um, so at the moment, we've got a crowdfunder. Um, so if you go to crowdfunder.co.uk and search for Maddie's Miracle Travelling Bus, uh, then you can donate. We have so far raised enough to lay down the deposit on the bus. So the bus is ours. But at the moment, yeah, it is a, you know, a very boring down at heel old blue van. Right. So we've now got to start raising the cash to make it gorgeous, darling. And you're going to paint boobies on the side? I think we have to. <laughs> or something. We, yeah, we want that something, something else we'd love. If there's somebody out there listening to this who is a wonderful spray painter um, and you want to do us some awesome art on the side um, of the van, then please get in touch. Oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? Mm. It's so frustrating, isn't it? You know what I mean, that when you you uh, run a drop-in and you know that the people who are walking in the door are the tip of the iceberg and that all those mums at home who feel like they can't get out to the... Yeah, and actually it's when it's the calls that you get and they're from somewhere, you know, 20 miles away and it's the school holidays and you know the nearest drop-in's probably closed and they're, they've just had a baby and they can't get out. Um, and the, the drop-in, you know, the, the calls you get from women who say, but there isn't anything around here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Oxfordshire, as you mentioned at the start, so I, I, my patch just gets up to the very southern edge of Oxfordshire and I really feel for those women antenatally because I know that there's nothing within a reasonable distance for them to actually go to. So we'll have to come to your neck of the woods then, won't we? Yes, we absolutely (laughs) will. (laughs) The other thing that I think the bus will be useful for is to be able to come to areas where the breastfeeding support community are struggling. They might be struggling for funds. They might have a campaign going to keep their funding um, to, you know, make sure the CCG understands that uh, these 
types of support need to be kept in place or to be improved. Um, and I think that, you know, if we can come, you know, with this this crazy bus that is very eye-catching, um, then that would be um, a way of getting the press interested in a story about breastfeeding. Yeah, that would be good, raising a lot of awareness. Yeah, so if, you know, if you're a breastfeeding counsellor listening to this and um, that is describing the situation you're in, um, then please do get in touch and, um, and yeah, and help us in any way you can. And we, we, we want to help you too. And it sounds like you're, you're appealing to all the organisations because we've got lots of big uh, organisations and also many, many, many small ones, I think, supporting breastfeeding. And we don't always get to work together. Uh, and I think for me, that's a really appealing elements to this project is yes this is for all breastfeeding people so whether you're nct or bfn or lll or abm uh, or you're a, a doula uk member um you know get get involved there there's no um no restrictions to who can um get on board the bus that's powerful yeah. i think have, having us all together we could all achieve so much if we combined our strengths we could and it's a shame that we don't do it more Mm. so yes I'm I'm hoping that this will be a very sort of symbolic tangible uh, example of what we can do when we all we all work together I'm so excited for you (laughs) (laughs) so we've got your crowdfunder and we'll put that on our Facebook as well I guess it's just a question of keeping us informed and we'll we'll keep telling people about it because we really really want to support it Please, please spread the word. You know, uh, we'll be setting up our social media soon. We've already got a Twitter. I saw. Um, I'm following it. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll be setting up a Facebook page, and you know, just share, 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 um, because we will need, I think, um, between sort of ten and thirteen thousand pounds to complete this conversion. Um, so we're really just at the start of our funding. Um, once we're a charity then obviously we'll be able to get the gift aid Um, and that's sort of in process now it takes a while to get a charity set up yeah but yeah do keep sharing and if you feel like you could put in a a couple of quid yeah um, then there are some really um, lovely gifts on the crowdfunder for people who who give um brilliant we'll, we'll get a little bit of something for your donation thank you thank you maddie we will keep behind you keep letting us know what's going on i will do thanks karen okay so that was maddie talking about her amazing bus project and we've put the link up on the page (laughs) if people would like to support it please do support it mark why are you sniggering Uh, uh, it's just me doing that sniggering before the booby bus (laughs) my wife accuses me of living inside an episode of the in-betweeners which is very rude Yes, that's offensive to the in-between, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yes. So, just moving on, what has inspired you this month, Mark? Well, given what we've been speaking about, a book by Marshall Rosenberg, and it's called Speak Peace in a World of Conflict. Okay. It's a fantastic model. It's the model of uh, non-violent communication. And in a way, we've been speaking about it. We've been speaking about universal human needs, about how humans have strategies to meet their needs. But usually they're not, they're not, he suggests that usually people aren't really in touch with what they need um, and and get caught up with the strategies to meet the needs. 
the book is an outline of the model and I, I think everyone uh, who wants to have really good relationships professionally and personally would would benefit from reading it cool thank you we'll put that up on facebook for people to have a look at what about you what are you inspired by i'm inspired by one of my colleagues who has set up a breastfeeding drop-in at haverhill i think i'm pronouncing that correctly which i believe is in cambridgeshire um so it's a breastfeeding drop-in but she's an nct breastfeeding counselor and she's working in a team with justine I think I want to say, um, who is is a La Leche League leader and our very own Maddie McMahon, who, as you know, is an association of breastfeeding mothers, breastfeeding counsellor. So look at that lovely multi-organisation, multi-organisational working. Brilliant. And just getting, this is exactly what I was talking to Maddie about, as you know, just now on the interview, um, the idea of bringing together people from the different organisations so that we can have that huge experience and just yeah i think that's brilliant yeah me yeah me too i didn't say her name nice one hannah that was hannah henley doing really really great job brilliant well that's all for today let's see if we can get that episode on maternity voices partnerships is that right yeah that's right yeah we're gonna get it together for next month uh, let us know what you think on facebook or twitter we'd love to hear from you and if you are listening on iTunes, pause the episode and go and leave us a review. That's facebook.com slash Sprogcast, at Sprogcast on Twitter and whatever it is on iTunes. And yes, I'm hoping to talk to people. Um, I've had so many people offer to speak to me about maternity voices partnerships and better births. And I think it's a, a big, important subject that I want to give the right attention to. So that will be coming up. Um, we're we're going to hopefully at some point have uh, an interview with Mars Lord. She's talking about cultural competency um, and the, the different the disparities of outcomes for white women and women of colour in birth. And got Paul Golden, midwife of over 30 years, one of the pioneers of men trained to be midwives. He now works in mediation, writes about the law and midwives. Brilliant interview with him, hopefully coming up next month. Yeah, yeah, I'll try and get him in next month because he sounds really yeah. interesting. Lovely. Yeah, Thank you cool. so much for listening today. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. You've been listening to Sprogcast with Karen Hall and Mark Harris. The news we've been discussing is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Sprogcast. And don't forget you can buy great books from pinterandmartin.com using the discount code Sprogcast at the checkout.